Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am so happy to be here. This is my third episode. Can you imagine my third episode of If Comedians Rule the World? I have to say that I am enjoying this uh, so much, but it's become really addictive just looking at the stats in terms of who's downloaded my podcast. It's my very first time of doing a podcast. And I want to thank all the audiences who have downloaded from the United States to uh, Venezuela, to India, to Singapore. I am grateful that you are tuning in and we will continue to do this on a weekly basis. I have a very fantastic comedian that I want to introduce you to. She is the first female uh, comedian that I am introducing to my podcast because I was told to be very careful about who I choose. That's what one person told me. I'm sure from the second episode, you would have heard, <laughs> you would have heard what he said. Uh, but I decided to go for Sadia Asma, and I'm hoping that I have pronounced her name properly. Uh, but she won't be offended. President. Yeah, I am no, black. No, 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 <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I, am, I am black anyway, so I can get away with how I pronounce her name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Sadia, That's welcome. President. <laughs> Oh, what an, what an introduction. Thank you. I'm so delighted and honoured to be your first uh, guest, your, your first female guest. And I'm like, I think you're doing really well. The podcast is blowing up. So that's amazing. Um, and yeah, you said my name right, which is which is refreshing because yeah. not, not a lot of people first time do. So good. good. <laughs> well, I have been practising. I have been practising. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really amazing how names are so difficult for certain people to pronounce. And I don't know why, but, you know, I seem to have got it. So how are you anyway? I haven't seen you since the I'm last... Just, tell me, what's your, what is your podcast called? It's called If Comedians Rule the World. Wow. And that's oh what God. it's about. So it's, it's, it's a concept that I thought about while I was in the car driving on the motorway. And I just thought, they always say that these politicians are comedians, but actually they're not. They're not pro-comedians, if you get what I mean. Everyone keeps, <laughs> talk, everyone keeps talking about Donald Trump, he's a comedian, Boris Johnson is a comedian. But in the real sense of it, we have comedians who act like opposition leaders to governments, depending on where they're performing. So, you know, you've got the left wing and the right wing. So I just thought, what if, what if a comedian had power and, you know, because they're always constantly criticizing these democratic institutions and governments. What would you do differently? Choosing just one particular subject. So I just say to a comedian, choose any topic that you want to discuss that you feel comfortable with. Uh, and it's something that has wow. to be current. And let's just go with it. What would you do differently? That sort of thing. And uh, we've, uh, the first episode was on immigration. Uh, immigration, immigration. But we touched on so many other subjects apart from immigration. The second episode focused on uh, the United States of America because I had this black American called Brandon Palmer, even though okay. he says he's American, but he lives in the United Kingdom. So I genuinely think he bought his accent from one of his American products and it's about to expire. <laughs> Who knows? But um, so we focused on the United States of America. So I know we've spoken. And uh, but before we go into this into the subject itself, how have you been? How are you coping with this uh, uh, lockdown well, in Britain at the moment? <laughs> if we could call it a lockdown. Yeah. So we recently gigged together when before the lockdown, uh, we was in Reading, and um, so it was nice to talk to you in person and and gig in person as well. Uh, we're currently in lockdown too. Um, I have to say I'm doing okay uh, because 
you know, obviously nothing is going to be as shocking as the first lockdown, which was, you know, completely, you know, caught us all by surprise. And there was a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. So I think this time around, we all kind of know the drill. Um, although, you know, I know people are going to say it's a small problem, but like, I really wish the gyms were open because I was kind of getting into a routine uh, you know, so I know it's like not a big problem on the scheme of things, but like on a personal note, like, you know, it's good to like, and I know that our government was like, you should just uh, exercise outdoors, but, you know, there's certain equipment at the gym. Anyway, that's a small, small uh, side in terms of, you know, just generally things are okay. I mean, I think we're all kind of at that point where we kind of can see the light at the end of 2020's tunnel. Mm. Um, and maybe we're all feeling a bit um, optimistic about things next year. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it won't be, you know, the, you know, it's been, it's been uh, different. It's been different. Um, comedy has been very, very severely affected. Um, almost at a standstill at some points, like live comedy, I mean, not things that we're doing like podcasts and stuff like that. Well, but um, I'm, 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 you know, yeah, well, I, well, I'm kind of pleased to see, yeah, yeah, go, go on. on. Go on, go on, go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm pleased to see that things like production or TV stuff has kind of slowly started to pick yeah. up. But I know that live comedy obviously is, is it feels derailed, let's say. I would say to you, it feels like a tsunami. It feels like uh, Britain invaded Iraq. <laughs> Britain invaded Iraq and left it oh. devastated. That's how I feel about the live, live comedy. But I think genuinely, I have been taken by surprise how a lot of people have, you know, just in a way, tried to adapt to produce more content. I think I told you last time, I've, gone, I've now gone viral on TikTok. You know, I have fans on TikTok because I put out video content. But what I didn't know know is that you go to the gym. I had no idea that you were a gym person. Um, So that's come to me as a surprise. But um, yeah, that you go to the gym. (laughs) The thing that you said earlier, it was what you said earlier about politicians are not comedians. I feel that was quite funny. I feel that was quite funny because obviously like comedians do a long time on the circuit you know under very difficult unpaid conditions and stuff like that so you know I I completely hear you um and going to your other point about like it feels like when Britain invaded Iraq it it does feel kind of on those on the scale I I know it's just like people who are not comedians probably will think that you know it's it's not the worst industry obviously it's not like a life-saving industry but actually I think um you know what we do is we do sacrifice quite a lot of our free time and energy. Mm. And mm. so for, to not have the creative space to uh, work on new ideas or to, to kind of keep building, it has been like a tsunami, as you say, it's been, it's been really um, difficult to have that taken away from you because normally it's your personal choice. Am I going to do this gig or am I not going to do this gig? But we, mm. you know, that, personal choice has been completely taken away from us um you know and i'm at home at the moment believe it or not and it feels really odd wearing this uniform talking to you at home because <laughs> <laughs> normally on a yeah, friday night you gig all around the country right yeah, you gig yeah. all around the country we but, saw each other at the fringe edinburgh fringe last year yeah it was uh, fantastic. obviously yeah so um, i can imagine it is difficult getting 
prepared but then having to do the the, the performance indoors you know yeah. it's it's diff it's difficult but, um what have you missed what have you missed apart from comedy ah uh, what have i missed apart from comedy i i it's a very interesting thing i've missed my real friends i think that's what's right. been really interesting because i had no idea that comedy i can shot because i was so immersed in it I had no idea that I didn't particularly have any social life when I was doing comedy. Does that make sense? Because normally on a Friday and Saturday, I am yeah. out there gigging. And all of a sudden, I, yes. had this, I had this free time. Okay, I could do some you know, right. creative things. But like tomorrow, I'm actually spending some time with uh, uh, boys I went to school with in secondary school. We have an association, an alumni wow. in, in the UK. And would I have been able to do that uh, if there wasn't a lockdown, I would have told them, sorry, I can't make it. And it's, on, it's all on Zoom. So I'm now recapturing things, right. rekindling memories of secondary school days nice. and friends I had. And I'm saying, wow, you know, at one point I genuinely thought, geez, during the lockdown, what have I been doing for 11 years? Was I going through some midlife crisis? Did I not know there was another <laughs> life? Did I not know there was another life outside it's the comedy? It's very yeah. demanding. Yeah, it's so it's, demanding. It's a very demanding vocation. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is, and then all of a sudden, it is taken away from you, and you're wondering, "Wow!" And for me, it was more about the fact that I had uprooted myself from one community to embrace another community, and I think this is one of the yeah. reasons why I'm doing this um, podcast. I don't see comedians anymore. I just don't no. hear from them anymore. You know, so it's as if everybody's just disappeared. It's like Thanos came and just, you know, <laughs> looked his right hand and boom. <laughs> Everyone has disappeared. Are you, are you are you into sports? So like do you do you like watch the football or not no, really? No, no, no. Football is not my thing. So so it's creative okay. writing now. So I fill my time with creative writing. I fill my time with podcasting. I have after you, I have two more people I'm interviewing mm. today. And, you know, I'm just enjoying talking to people. I just, wow. Yeah, that's, that's what I've always wanted to do anyway. My greatest fear is that I enjoy it so much that when live comedy comes, I might be saying, nah, I ain't doing it anymore, you know? I just hope I don't I don't that. think that, because to be honest, I, I, I've seen you work really, really hard, like 11 years. Um, I, I, I truly think that you'll be able to balance both of them. Like, yeah. obviously, it will be dependent on, you know, the way you organise it. But I know that, you know, you've put so much hard work. We both put a lot of hard work into live stand-up comedy. So I can see us being quite grateful for when it when it does return. And yeah. we may approach it a, a bit differently, but I, I think it will still be a welcome return, you know. Yeah, yeah it, it has been a welcome uh, opportunity to just sit back and reflect and be more strategic yeah. in your approach and so right. you're absolutely right there will have to be a balance i'm not i'm not running around the whole place you know like i did previously because i don't need to prove that i'm funny i mean donald trump is leaving I think trump is leaving <laughs> It is completely, I think it is quite a, a dramatic way, but I think what happens is that, you know, you get an email, can you do this? Yeah. And then it's the way that you organise your diaries. So it's not so much in our hands when we gig, because sometimes, you know, you, there's an opportunity and, and it's your choice whether you say yes or no. Yeah. But, um, you know, the encouragement and the, the positive approach is to basically accept as much as you can um mm. so that you can you know continue working on your craft and yeah. so I can understand what you're saying and, and I think I sometimes think to myself as well that you know I would like a more organized approach but 
when push comes to shoves, you know, like, you know, the standby email you and say, you know, I've got these dates, but I've only got these dates. You're going to say, yes, you'll bite their hand off. Mm. And then that will be, you know, a weekend that clashes with bloody an anniversary or something. Yeah, and, yeah, you exactly. Know, you, you have to make that choice. I, I will ask you, you know? a question. I'll ask you a question so before. Easy. Go on. No, no, I'm finished. Thank you. Yeah, what I was going to say as well is what will be really interesting is uh, what, what the lockdown has made me do, actually, is think about how many hours was I spending writing material? How many hours was I spending networking? You know, because that's one of the things I have picked up about this game, that you've got to be a good networker. It's not just about being funny. And there is, uh, even though the comedy market has shrunk like a, uh, like a stock market. <laughs> That's the way I see it, like a stock market. <laughs> but before the second lockdown, there were some small gigs happening, but it was only the few that were mm. getting those gigs, you know. So, um, but enough about the comedy industry. I'm sure it will survive. It will come back. It might not, <laughs> it might, it might not be as what it was previously, you know, uh, but it will come back. But let's talk about, uh, you know, what, what, if you, if you were in charge, because you live in Britain at the moment, what particular subject would you like us to talk about in terms of if comedians rule the world? What particular subject or topic? I would, I would love to talk about, I'd like to talk about homelessness. Oh yeah, good, good, good. Why, why that subject? <laughs> because I think it's like, so, okay, this is gonna sound awful, but I think it's so visual. Like, I remember when I was a young kid walking down the street and you just see people in the cold. And, you know, when you're a child, you really feel the cold. And you just think of that person that they have nowhere else to go from the cold. Yeah. Um, and I and I know that, I mean, maybe you could argue, I'm not sure because I haven't done the full research around the world. People might say that Britain is better than other places, but I still think that uh, it's, it's not where it, where I would have it if I ruled the world, you know? I think that housing is is a human basic requirement and uh, should be accessible to everybody. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's really interesting that you have chosen this particular subject. And I will tell you a story. I wrote about it. This was Edible Fringe 2017. I took a show called The Rise of the Comedy Potato and I did the free fringe. And I remember meeting yeah. an audience member who uh, came several times to my show. And when he came the first time, I didn't think anything about it. He came the second time, I thought nothing about it. When he came the third time, and I was walking on the streets after the show, I saw him on the pavement. And I said to myself, I know oh. that face, but I can't recollect where that face has come from, that face, that guy <laughs> must have come to my show. So I went to him and I said, are you the guy who was at my show? He said, yes, I've seen you three times. But what are you doing on the streets? Sage is homeless. Mm, oh my saying? God, I can't Can believe. You? Yeah, and I, I was so moved by what he had said to me that I ended up, and I'm not bragging, the money I had collected from that show that day I just, I was so, I was so close to tears. Because when we think about how much is spent in edible fringe, and you know, my, my social conscience, just, it just, it was just such an amazing uh, story to share with other people. Uh, you know, and I just, I don't know, I, I don't know what the solution is, but there's no excuse 
for the sixth largest economy in the world to have homelessness. That's my view. That's, yep. Yeah, there's no, there's no, even when I went to, uh, I did a, a gig at Monkey Business Comedy Club uh, just before the second lockdown, and there was this homeless guy outside the venue. So one minute I was happy, I killed the gig without killing people. I came out, I saw this guy on the street. <laughs> I saw this guy on the streets and I'm saying, wow, what is this? Why do we have this in Britain? Why can't this be resolved? But what would you differently? What do you think is the causes of homelessness? Well, I mean, this is gonna sound like a, against my point, but even the people who are not homeless, like if you look at the prices of the houses, like it's ridiculous so i don't know how many times you're earning say somebody is on i don't know thirty thousand pounds and the house at the moment is what between in london let's say easily between four to four hundred to six hundred thousand so it's it's so many multiples of that person's income so you're kind of like forced into a commitment for from you know as, as soon as you're able to for for the long, longest period of your life if not your whole life um so i think affordability is is a big uh, massive problem actually just a quick cheeky plug i did um my podcast is no country for young women and actually um last year we was able to visit a homeless shelter in oh, brixton and yeah, and the, the person who ran it, um, Solomon Smith, he, he's a, always fundraising off his own back because when he tried to get government help, they were not really as helpful. Um, so he just did things himself, um, having, you know, relationships with people like Nando's to give food to homeless wow. people, etc. So he ran a food shelter. But the, what I took away from the conversation with Solomon was that people are, don't know how how easy it is to become homeless there's not enough empathy like you know um sometimes some people are only like two or three paychecks away from literally not being able to keep a roof on their head and it's easily done to anybody um so we have to kind of get over the stigma of of blaming people for the situation um we don't have enough empathy for people who you know struggle or or are in difficult circumstances and often people will not tell anybody until it's too late if even if they they might feel ashamed they might not share that information that somebody could help them because of the stigma so I think it's a really difficult thing to kind of ask for help um, especially when you're applying for for help and uh, maybe not maybe finding it quite a, a bureaucratic process and a difficult process um you know it's, it's it's a very difficult situation because you know just living is is, is expensive um and costs are on the rise i don't even want to talk about covid and and, and the impact on that because what was really eye-opening back in march and april in london um or in the uk actually i should say um they made the decision to house everybody who was homeless and after a few months obviously they they you know uh, stopped doing that but for them to be able to do it so easily it shows that they have the funds and they have a capability of doing that so the question is why they don't why don't they do that and I, I suppose one of the reasons is probably to keep the um over overpriced housing market 
the way it is because if they were able to support people like that all the time then people would be like why am i paying my mortgage or why am i doing this yeah so so if i've heard you correctly it's and that's my view my view is that it can it can be resolved you know the, the country is rich enough to eradicate yeah. homelessness uh, but as we all know certainly from what i have picked up the way that the country is run is a lot a lot of these people have um, influences and are linked to to the government so their policies are dictated by or influenced by all these landlords and estate agents and Definitely. property developers but you know one of the things i was thinking of in terms of affordability is obviously if people weren't buying homes yeah it's not good for the economy that would reduce affordability and we know that there are this is going to sound really um, harsh but we know there are foreign investors they come and buy houses in chelsea and you know leave them empty mm -hmm. surely what the government should be doing is banning those sort of um, initiatives from happening i know it's controversial but if you reduce the house prices then people will be able to afford to to to, to buy homes that's my solution to it just just ban for, you know it's almost it's almost brexit it's almost like brexit just ban ban foreigners from buying homes, rich people from buying homes, you know, that's what I would say. And, and actually, I would go down the route, almost like China, and basically say you can only have one home. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, I think the, there's a few questions here. Is, is That means that the government would have to prioritise its own people before other people. Um, and at the moment, the way I see things, it it, it prioritizes the wealthy over the non-wealthy. Yeah, so they don't care whether you're from here or where you're from. If you have more money, you're more important. And those are the conversations we don't have enough. Like people, mm. people always consumed with the conversations about race. Um, but I think in Britain, the the, the bigger issue than race is class. Uh, also, in terms of uh, what you were saying, I thought it was interesting. I think I guess one of the difficulties is that like they they can't cap the price of a house so like it, the the market seems to kind of have its own um mind and so you know all kind of up up down up up whatever depending on you know things that they, they like the interest rate etc mm -hmm. but like if they said like the house is not going to be more uh higher than x I don't know what impact that would have on Look, I think it's just, I, I know that it's a difficult thing to control. I think what you're saying is that we would would like our government to care about our needs. Um, and so obviously it's, it's quite quite depressing or drastic to, to kind of conclude that perhaps that's not the case, which is not... It doesn't seem as though it's their priority at all no, because but, they all have their... They have their second houses. Uh, the MPs have oh. their second houses funded by us. We are paying for their second houses, but they don't want to help us with our one house. So always the people who don't have the money are uh, bastardized. But, um, you know, it's the real people who are, are eating off other people that, that, that we enable. And, and this, is, this is my point. And this is why I am not a great fan of democracy. I just think it's a virus. It's, a, it's an infectious virus like COVID, you know, and it's infected <laughs> quite a number of people. Because my views, yeah, is that it's, it, I, I don't think that a lot of these politicians have a conscience. 
because I, I certainly, if I can go to a gig and come out and see homeless people and I'm not responsible for the policy and I feel for them, do you understand what I'm saying? That the empathy is not there. They are so far removed. They are so far removed and and can I will I ask you this? Yeah, go Let on. Let me ask you, President. I would ask you this as a president, okay? But power corrupts. Yeah. That's where we're at, right? Because how do you, you're a human being. Mm. When you see a cold human being, a homeless on the street, you have that feeling, right? But when you get to a certain level, what is it about that power structure? What is it about that position where you stop caring and you're just like, well, I'm going to get my breakfast paid for with expenses and stuff. You earn like six figures easily, but yet you are you need to be looked after and you don't get the same kind of um, bad publicity, should we say, or the bad labels and stereotypes of being quote unquote looked after. Yeah. And the people who are neglected are written off as, as benefits, scroungers, this, that and the other. I, I know what you're saying in terms of the, the failures of democracy. I, I completely, you know, I, to be honest, I, I agree. But I think that the problem with places like China, um, like the, the way that they adopt the communism is not fair mm. um, and you can't speak out. So to be honest, I don't even feel that we speaking out in this country makes any difference. So whatever, mm. it's a luxury, but it's like whatever, to what end? But in China, it's like the way that they have you, you know, controlled is, is, is disturbing because imagine that they are still powerful and therefore corrupt um you know but but you, you, they're giving you the lies that everything is equal and you you all get one home and you all get this that and the other but you know a lot of people are not able to speak out when there's uh you know injustice okay two points one you asked me as president you know power corrupts let me just remind you that i'm a fictional president i have no power whatsoever so <laughs> that's um, i don't know how it feels when you actually get there the second point, the second point is about um, what, what I meant about China was not necessarily to adopt their policy in terms of communism, but more about the fact that, you know, they have a one child policy. Why can't Britain say, OK, you, you're only entitled to one home. You can't have more than one home. That's what I was referring to as, a, you know, just as an analysis. They, but you know, right, you already know the answer because they want the wealthy to to have and then they they want the the non-wealthy to keep keep um you know i suppose keep keep just where they are yeah and then this, the third point which i've just remembered now is when we're talking about politicians especially in the uk i don't know how many of them are not career politicians if you get my drift they don't have a conscience. They don't have empathy. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if, if, if they really want democracy to work, then stop electing people who have gone to eating. Stop electing people who are privileged. Go for people who are connected to the poor. Go, to the pe- go and elect people who are working class people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that is where I think you can really see the difference in terms of how the policy will be shaped. You see, it, what is really ridiculous is Britain is such a mess in terms of its democracy that it's relying on me, a dictator, to advise them <laughs> what they need to do to restructure their, their democratic institutions. Because it's, 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 it doesn't, I'm sure you agree with me, it does not work. It's, I keep hearing about the divide between the rich and the poor. And you can tell, even when they get up and speak, 
I'm sure the poor are thinking, are these people really part of us? They're in a separate world, you know, in a different world entirely. So how can you expect them to sort out homelessness? And when you think about homelessness, which race? Yeah, that's the other thing. Who does it affect the most when it comes to homelessness in the United Kingdom? Well, I'm not being funny, but like ethnic people. So obviously people can't see me, but I'm I'm Asian. Um, the thing is, we are less popular. Pop- we are like there's less population sorry there is a lower population of black and asian people so obviously white people will be the majority affected right yeah yeah so there's like i don't know between three and eight percent or so i don't i haven't done the full full fact search recently but it i i personally think that going back to your point which i thought was really interesting about who you recruit into positions of power and politics i think it's really interesting because i think that you can get a good person. Like if you look at Marcus Rashford, he is a footballer for the listeners um, who are listening from overseas who don't know. He's a footballer and he is actually in the, we have a school holidays and he was campaigning so that the families from a lower income would be able to access free food as they, Mm -hmm. you know, would have uh, school meals basically for the children. Um, And after long campaigning and stuff, finally this hit home to the um, government that actually will find, will fund this, but there was a lot of resistance at first. Mm. So this one is point proving president's point about how you should um, kind of, recruit people who are influential and and also have empathy because Marcus Rashford the footballer I'm talking about came from these uh, humble beginnings let's say now Marcus for me is an exception Uh, my problem is is that when you put someone in a in a culture which is um, basically you know a certain a certain way uh, which which seeks to cut costs and cut you know not to think of people as equal and to uh you know i don't know make living conditions harder for disabled people or people who are in need and vulnerable people you it's easier to not do what marcus rashford did it is really hard what he did because you're going to be subject to a lot of criticism and not not fitting in so you they might you might you might cost your job basically and what i'm saying is that also so when you when when they're gonna bribe you, not bribe you, but when they're gonna suggest that look, just look after yourself, you put yourself before everybody else. And I think that's where our system is wrong right now because they are meant to be serving the people, but they are serving themselves. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, this is this is this is um, this is stuff that I, I have you know always thought about in terms of I, at one point I was even considering going into politics. But you know how they would just let your skeletons, you know, because I have lots of skeletons in my cupboard. <laughs> Didn't want to appear in the sun newspaper. <laughs> sun newspaper. But on a serious note, <laughs> on a serious note, I, it's 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 a case of do poor people or working class people do they see themselves when they look at Boris Johnson? Do they see themselves when they look at Matt Hancock? And the people who actually leave this country, it's it's a blanket. No, they don't. They're just from a different background. They're privileged. They've been groomed. Yeah, you know what I mean. Groomed, not the other way around, but groomed yeah. to become politicians and, and career politicians. <laughs> so so how can how can they have how can they have empathy? How can they understand what it's like to be homeless? How can they understand what it's like not to have three square meals? 
in a day. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, I, it's, it's, it's and painful. You, and you see... And you see that with the way that they're protecting Priti Patel. So she's the Home Secretary, and she's um, have you know she has a bullying case against her. And Boris Johnson has very strongly um, showed his affiliation and support to Priti Patel. And and that's what I'm talking about. They stop being they stop being part of the wider community and they become politicians. You know, career politicians, as you say, or or just. The, the makeup of them becomes more politicized than humanized. Um, and is that, so, so they will. Go on. No, no, I'm finished. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, so I was going to say, is that the lady they call Prickstaff? Is that who they're referring to? I saw lots pretty of. Patel. Yeah, pretty Patel. Yeah, pretty Patel. Yeah, yeah. It's not really pretty, but it's okay. But yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> the question here is is that do. So the thing is, what you said was really interesting is about them selecting members of the community who who is actually more representative of of the country um but i guess the question there is you know for that person who has the connections with the community if they did take such a position of power would that cost them the trust that they have or have worked for within the community that's number one number two you know what guarantees do they have that they will be able to uh you know act with the tensions that they have going in as opposed to being influenced and changed by the um you know by the system and and it's the way that it works the way the machine works yeah so i know i know i i think i think some of this is almost almost uh, like an excuse because uh i know donald trump is not a very good example of of, of a politician but one of the things i think he did he cleverly did uh even though he's on his way out is he said he was he wasn't part of the establishment, and I think I still think that you can succeed in 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 almost like the Donald Trump. We're not necessarily copying him, but there are people who are anti-establishment, people who are not within the establishment. I mean, for example, you might not agree with me. Jeremy Corbyn reminds me of that sort of person who is not really part of that circle, even though he's a millionaire now, and you know. Uh, but do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, I, I think it can be done. I think it needs to go back. Politics needs to go back to grassroots level. You know, these local councillors, so far they're not, they have empathy. They are the ones who should end up becoming MPs because they are connected. They are the ones dealing with issues around housing, uh, unemployment. You know, they're connected to the community more than the MPs. A lot of these MPs are just maybe researchers who have just... You know, they supported a, a previous MP, boom, they skyrocketed, uh, and there they become an MP. I, I, I believe that's how it happens. Uh, I don't know how and many. Also, also, I think, I know what you're saying about Trump. Uh, one of the things that I would say about him is that I think that at least he told it the way it was which personally I found as a comedian very refreshing because yeah. a lot of a lot of politicians will just sugarcoat it or, or lie yeah. um, or completely misframe things and although although we may not have liked uh, you know what he was delivering I appreciate the there was a, quite a candidness about uh, the things that he was saying he was really frank um, also I think in terms of what you're saying that the constituency should represent its people. I, I don't understand how we have like the oldest, like America now has the oldest president ever. Now a 
Joe Biden, like 78, I think, 78 yeah. years old. Like, I don't understand. I mean, like, to be honest with you, some days I'm I'm not even that old, but <laughs> some days I'm like, I want to I, I want a quick comedy. Right. So, you know, you can imagine at that age, man, man is probably so tired of life and he is going into one of the, the if not the most powerful position in the world. What doesn't what, that even what doesn't that even show that actually, as far as I'm concerned, as much as I want to go into politics, as much as I would like to be leader of a of a country, I think my view is that these leaders are just puppets. They're not the ones running the country. They're not the ones. They it's the corporate sponsors, mm. people who sponsor their campaigns. So um, Biden is just going to be a figurehead, as far as I'm concerned. He's just going to be a figurehead, and he's just you know. Just well, I think it goes back into your point about how, how much of a joke democracy has become. Yeah, exactly. Look, I'm very cautious of the time and uh, I wish we could do more because this is very intellectually stimulating, by the way, you know? I never, <laughs> I never thought we were going to... We're trying to find solutions for homelessness, you know? <laughs> a civilian and a military dictator. But um, it's, been, it's been fantastic to have you as a guest and I know there has been some really useful points that I, what I didn't say to you is that I will definitely, most likely run in the general election as President of Bonjo. <laughs> and I would use some of your points in my manifesto for homelessness, <laughs> how we're going to resolve homelessness. But before I close the show, Sadia, is there anything at all? I know you have a podcast. Do you want to plug that? Where can people find you, my listeners, my audiences? What is it you would like to say? You've got two, three minutes to say that. Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you again so, so much for having me. Um, it has been a really nice discussion. I think it's important that we have discussions like this so that people who are listening, young and old, they, they feel that they are able to affect change or, or that they have some sort of empowerment in, in the situation that they find themselves in um, and that they are valued and, and have importance. Um, in terms of me, I'd love you to follow me on social media. So you can find me at Sadia underscore Asmats um, on Twitter and Instagram is, is mostly the places. And yeah, just look out for the stuff. My podcast is still available um, on BBC Sounds. It's called No Country for Young Women. And yeah, uh, keep supporting President Obonjo. Thank you. Thank you, Sadia. You, you've noticed, yeah? And people will say, I don't like the BBC. This is someone who works with the BBC. So this is evidence that I do like the BBC. Um, for Sadia, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed Food for Thought. Uh, my great listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this. We will continue to invite as many. I'm just picking people that I like. I'm just picking them as, you know, just think about someone and uh, I've got two more guests later on this evening. But if you have enjoyed this, please talk about it. If comedians rule the world, we are looking for opportunities. I certainly know that I am looking for an opportunity to gain power. <laughs> and this is what I am doing. So I have now completed my homelessness manifesto, housing. And Sadia, Sadia will be my secretary of state for housing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Well done. That was amazing, President. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, no, you were great. Well done.